0: Failure. What do you think of when I say the word failure? Does it make you excited? Do you want to do it? Do you want to dive in and fail? If not, then you've come to the right place. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to episode 20, Failure and How to Respond. And I am excited today because I have my business partner, Simon Payne, with me. Simon, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alan. It's going to be a very short bit for me. I've had no failures whatsoever, as you know, so I've got very little to contribute to this episode.
0: You're also the biggest
2: liar I've ever met. So
0: that's Simon Payne. And then we have Mr. Sean McHugh from the United States of America.
2: Thank you, Alan Donakin. Just to practice for the podcast, I've been failing all week, so I have plenty to talk about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I think let's start there with the word failure, because if there's one thing I've learned, you are going to fail and things are going to go wrong. Things are going to break. People are going to say, no, stuff won't work. Just as we were setting up this episode, I pressed record and there was no SD card in the uh, recorder. That's a schoolboy failure. That's an error. And these errors are going to continue to happen. And I think it's really interesting about the fact that you are going to fail. Is that something you believe, Simon and Sean, that you will fail? Or is it something you'd rather not think about as you start something new?
1: I realise now it's part of the process. When I first started in 2003, I didn't realise that was part of the process. And my ego had the audacity to think that I'd get it right first time. And also that my idea was a good idea. It was just complete nonsense. And I didn't realise that I wasn't used to failing. I've, I've, I've taken failure very, very badly in my life. You know, a couple of times that it happened when I was in employment, it took me a while to bounce back. And I thought, well, I, it's obviously not for me that I won't go back there. Whereas, of course,
2: now I know that that it's part of the process. What do you reckon, Sean? I would agree, Salian. So mean, when I had my first, especially in the professional world, the first several failures that I had, the problem I had was differentiating the failure from myself. So... I would take it extremely, extremely personally and feel like I was a failure and everything was bad about me and whatever, you know, this was my issue and so forth. And I could not differentiate that there was a failure just in a situationally or a project or what it was, as opposed to me being a failure. So early on, it took me a very, very, very long time to get over those failures. And I think as Alan and I've talked about this, and I think with you as well, the more failures you have, the better you get coming back from them the time to recover becomes shorter and i don't take it personally anymore i do still pout for a little bit but i give myself an amount of time to pout and then after that i was like hey what's the information here and it's getting easier and easier to do that i don't think it's ever going to be perfect i think it's important also to feel your failure a little bit and take that hit But don't let it go on and on and on and you get into a spiral, you know, going down the rabbit hole of everything's bad and I'm never going to be successful and so forth and so on. And that was early on a problem for me, you know, and now once I identified that and had more practice with it, for lack of better terms, failure got a lot easier.
0: I think there's something really key in what you said there about identity versus an occasion that it happens. And actually, I've had that exact thing with failure where I've gone, I am a failure, rather than this project failed, or this instance failed. And I've actually struggled with it in sales as well, where if someone rejects my project, I take it as they're rejecting me personally, not the offer that I put in front of them. I think that's a key distinction to dealing with this stuff, is you can still be a good person, you can still be a strong, confident person, But you can make mistakes every now and again, and that does not change your identity.
1: I guess, like the thought you just triggered in my mind, Alan, was disassociating emotion from what's happening. And if I look back at some of those moments of failure, of course, they're uncomfortable at the time. But as soon as they've happened, not only do you know more, it should actually feed your confidence because you've got the battle scars to know which direction not to go in, or if you're going to go back in that direction. You're now mindful of the potholes that you're going to stick your foot in. I'm just still, I'm still smiling at Sean. You saying that you pout like what kind of pouting do you do
2: and what does it look like? Well, I have plenty of ways to pout Simon and thank you for getting specific on that, um, (laughs) as I said, I was practicing earlier this week. Sometimes it's stupid, stupid me. You know, I should have seen that, blah, blah, blah. Other ways is stupid, stupid, stupid you, whoever it could be that I was working with, and it's all their fault, not my fault, or the presentation I did was wrong, or you know, you, you can go and create all of these stories of why things went wrong after I've done the pouting. And then I can say, and it, and it varies, you know, like for me, the Personal situations, I do a lot more pouting on, which I'd probably need to get better with if I can treat it the same way as a situational or business failure, I would probably be a lot nicer to myself. What I've found is after I give myself, I I literally will give myself a timer on some stuff. And if I know I got to pout a little bit longer, well, I'll give myself a little bit longer pout. If it's really a transactional thing, maybe five, 10 minutes, and then I'll say, okay, good job pouting. That was actually a successful pout Instead of a failing pal. <laughs> um, and then I'll say, What is the information here, man? You know, what do I take? Is, do is this something that I need to continue following? Or is it, hey, I just got to change directions on it? I remember actually when I first met Papa Business School, um, this was I guess over two years ago now. And it was uh Alan was presenting the course and it was in Longmont, Colorado and so i was like well i'm just going to do what i'm told over the course and use it for a business that i've been thinking about so i did everything i was told i really put some time into building you know a website and getting it up and running and i had i had some inklings that it wasn't going to work but i did a really nice website i got plenty of compliments on it and the way i wanted to go with it i sent it out to people that i knew might be interested in the business idea and all I got back was, "Hey, that's a great idea," which told me this that nobody wanted to do the idea. So there was a failure there. I got great compliments, but no action. It stung a little bit at first, but I knew there was you know, I knew there was a possibility of it not working. So I did get feedback for a different version of the idea that people wanted to do, but that was not what I wanted to do. And as Alan said, I don't want to do it if i'm not having fun and that version of people are doing it it was not fun to me so it was very easy for me to then shelf that and say hey i might come back to this but that's not the way i want to go about this now and it didn't hurt as much and i was very quick to move through that and say okay i'm shelving that idea i'm not going to do it right now instead of pushing it down people's throat and trying and trying and trying and so forth when the information i got back was very clear so i could either fought that either try to change it or go with other people said they wanted me to go this way. But I wasn't interested in that. So sometimes that failure, you take the information as, hey, I don't want to do it that way. Or, okay, I will do it that way. But it was the situation of being able to how I take the information, and then putting in a successful pout and then moving forward.
0: I love that. Because you actually have a choice over how long you want to let this thing affect you. And back in the early days a bad thing would happen and i'd sit on the couch watching movies for a week and the failure would take me a week to recover from but you've set a timer and you've gone i'm going to allow myself 10 minutes to feel sorry for myself and then i'm going to go on with it and that's been one of the biggest differences i've had over the years is the length of time it takes me to bounce back has reduced and i think as an entrepreneur you have to expect failure and you have to bounce back quickly. And actually, all you're given is the opportunity to have another go. And if you do that, it's incredible what happens. Simon, how long do you allow yourself to pout, stroke, deal with the failure?
1: (laughs) I like a good pout, as you know. Uh, Stroke means slash
0: in American. I feel like we need a translation here. Stroke means slash, you know, that like sideways thing.
1: Uh, okay. Yes. yes. That's important. Thank you for pointing that out because stroke for me means something. Well, a It means of a heart attack.
0: Yes. And something yes, else. Yeah, and exactly, uh, yeah. yeah, slash means something else in English. So there we go. We got the translation out of the way back to normal life. Simon, how do you deal with failures like that?
1: I failed slow and expensively. The first time I failed with an entrepreneurial uh, sense and took me three years and about 22 grand. I call that failing slow and failing expensively. I much prefer failing fast and failing cheap now. My bounce back ability in those days, yeah, three years was the first time and then maybe about two years for the second one and three months for the third. Now it's usually, I mean, sometimes just shit happens, doesn't it? Yesterday, some stuff happened. I had a brilliant four fifths of the day and the last fifth of the day, I'm thinking to myself, I've got no control over this. Why has this happened I'm out of energy. I'm done. And then there's this brilliant thing that happened yesterday, which is called bedtime. And then I woke up the next day. And I think as I've got older, I think one of the key reasons why I bounced back so fast is that I've forgotten about 80% of what happened yesterday. Whereas when I was younger, I seemed to sort of sit and dwell and remember all of the things that went wrong, play back all of the conversations that I had, you know, just sort of navel gaze for too long. But now I think my bounce back ability is minutes now. And if for whatever reason, it's a bit longer, I can wake up the next day and go, oh, fantastic. I'm so glad yesterday is now finished because it was a bit crap, wasn't it? Now it's a completely new day. And I'm just hitting every single day with a a renewed level of energy and enthusiasm. And bounce back ability is, is all about kind of knowing that it's just part of the process. And that's all right. Look at the speed that I'm learning. Cause we all know that's that old adage, don't we Of you know, you learn much more from our failures than we do from our successes. And somebody said that once I can't remember who, but it is really true. It doesn't necessarily help at the time, but what we can do is just reframe it in our heads and, you know, start again the next day, start afresh.
2: I like that, man. Like I've never thought of the key to bouncing back from failure is losing your memory a old age and senility. So. <laughs> That's my strategy. Yeah, that's impressive, Simon. (laughs) You are old. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Uh, (laughs) Well, I think there is a bit here about that particular piece, which is it's not dwelling on the bad conversations or the incident that happened. And I had the same problem Simon did. We've both had the same problem that we've overcome with age, which is you would take the issue and you would replay that memory in your head for a week afterwards way past the point that you were getting any learning from it, actually to the point where you were just torturing yourself. And I think that's what so many people do with failure is they take the failure cassette and keep replaying it. Yeah. And I've just aged myself with the cassette reference for the young people. It's an MP3 you store on your phone and replay. They keep (laughs) replaying that failure track. And that's what I used to do. I know you did a similar thing, didn't you, Simon? I can remember
1: a presentation that I did. I got hired by this organization and then they they knew that I did a bit of speaking. So they hired me for a, a sort of a keynote presentation for the internal staff conference. And there's about 300 people in the room. And I caught sight of the CEO of the organization and I caught sight of her at the corner of my eye. I could tell she was hating it. Well, actually, I interpreted her facial expressions that she was hating it. I just cut it off halfway through. I thought, I don't think I'm in the right place here. I'm going to resign this afternoon. And I went, so anyway, everybody, that's the end of the presentation. And then I walked off stage. And I think it was just, it was a really awkward moment for 300 people as well as me. And I reckon I, I must have replayed that moment in my head probably for a year most days. I mean, how helpful is that to anybody? It's yeah. not, is it? I've got to take what I learned from it and it was an amazing learning experience actually but at the time super painful but a massive rocket boost into you know my ability to stand up in front of an audience and present came from that moment so i think you know for all of the pain that you go through in the moment You just don't need to relive it again. You take what you've learned and move on with it. And yeah, I'm definitely much better at uh, taking the emotion out of it, spotting what I need to learn from it and going, well, there's no point me going over that again. I've learned what I need to know. Let's just move on to the next thing.
0: I did that presentation the next year at the annual conference, Simon. Oh, yes, you did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was equally as painful. That moment is etched into my mind. Absolutely etched into my mind as well. That was one septic organization. Well, the organization wasn't, it was the head that was. But let's move on. I think here, Simon, Sean, do you have any tools that you could give the audience that they could use to stop them replaying those old failure memories so that they can move on quicker. What would you suggest recommend?
2: I have two things, Alan, that I try to do now. I think a lot of the failure rumination, as you were saying, or playing it over and over again on an MP3 or a cassette tape for the old folks. And I actually want to make a point of clarification on that. I don't think it's based on age. I think it's based on experience. So if you get out there and you hustle And, you know, really chase some failures early on the experience. So even if I'm starting at 18 years old and I have 10 years of great failures, well, then my ability to come back is very quick. So you don't have to be far down the the timeline to be able to deal with this. So young folks don't feel it's like I got to wait to get older to feel okay about this. It's just a matter of repetitions of getting in there and getting some failures under your belt. The two ways that I go about this is when you're going down that rabbit hole in your head, you can create all kinds of crazy stories that can branch out in so many different ways. So the idea of getting it out of your head, so it's going to work differently for different people, but I will write it down. So then it becomes tangible in front of me. It's no longer in my head. There is some sort of shape to it. So once it's down on the page, the words can't change you know, and morph into something else. Now I can continue writing about it and then get it out of there. And it gives me like, it's separate from me. If I don't get it out of my head, it's that person. This is about me instead of the situation. So if I write a situation down on the piece of paper, then it becomes a separate entity. If you're not a writer or not in that way, and I'm probably lean towards more to this is I will talk to a trusted friend or an advisor in the situation and tell them the situation. And then... Ask them to give me their point of view. I'm at a point where I like direct communication, kid gloves. If they have some criticism of me, I'll ask them to give that and know that they want my best interests and then maybe ask for points of clarification or how would they do this differently or even more is like, how do I move on here? What would you suggest? So those two things I would say are the best things that work for me, writing it down, getting it out of your head, and then getting it out of a head, having dialogue with somebody that you know respects you and wants the best for you and will give it to you straight.
0: I absolutely agree with the writing it down and getting out of your head. If I'm lying in there in bed and it's just repeating, I have to get up and find a piece of paper, find my laptop and I just get it all out of my head. Only then can I fall asleep comfortably and safely. And it's just all out. And I think separation, I actually have a folder on my computer called other shit. That's where I put all that stuff Mm -hmm. and it's away. it's gone. I just get it out. I think that's a genius one, Sean.
2: There's one more I just thought of that I've been experimenting with a little bit is actually doing a digital recording and I will tell the story that's going on in my head to that. I will put it down and then I'll come back to it, you know, an hour the next day or not. And usually I'll listen to, and if I didn't know that voice, I was like, I would say to myself, who is this crazy person? You know? So like when I hear it playing back, I'm like, none of that makes sense. What am I talking about? So that's another way too, but you got to give a little time in between it for you to decompress and think about it. And then you hear the story back and it's like, well, oh, I don't know what I was thinking there. So that might be one other way. Uh, I'm just trying to think about different platforms and modalities. You got to think about what works for you. So try these. You might not like writing it down. You might not like talking to somebody else. If you play it back, it's just trying things that work for you. So that would be one more suggestion.
0: Simon. How do you get this stuff out of your head so that you can move on positively?
1: I discovered the power of writing down all of the junk in my head quite recently, probably within the last seven or eight months. That has been absolutely game changing for me personally. You know, just to actually write for writing's sake, you know, without judgment, you don't need to send it to anybody. Just write it down. All of the thoughts that go through your head of, you know, feeling angry, cross, frustrated, irritated. All of those, the sort of dark side of our brains and just I almost like a rant, just rant out with lots of colourful language in it, got it out of my system. And they so say just recently, I've seen the benefit of that has given me so much more clarity and removed all the junk. And I just realised I was just waking up the next day and thinking the same thoughts over and again. And again, that's no use to anybody. So that I agree with Sean on that one. That's, and both of you guys, really powerful stuff. I think self-care is an important one. I used to sit in the failure for too long. And, uh, you know, Gillian on the uh, Everyday Courage podcast will talk to this. I remember her saying to me, you know, sometimes you've got to get out of the pool. It's okay to jump in the deep water and thrash around for a bit, but just get out of the pool, put a towel on, have a warm cup of tea, you know, and just rest. And I think, you know, having a good night's sleep, eating good food, drinking lots of water breathing deeply and you know the coach that I used to work with used to say like just breathe just breathe your way through it and when you get anxious about something it's because your breathing's gone shallow so I think all of that stuff helps I've got a magic question that I ask I know that derails you Alan is this the one yeah this is the one yeah so uh,
0: what Simon does to me is I'll ring him up with a problem. Something's gone wrong. at pop up and I'll rant him for about 10 minutes. He'll listen to me. He's very patient is our Simon. He listens to me and then he smacks me in the face with the question that stops me every single time.
1: What was this designed to teach you Alan?
0: And I just bow and put my head in my hands and go, and then I come up with two or three things I need to learn. And by coming up with those things to learn, it enables me to put down the problem and focus on what's next. And it is a genius question, Simon.
1: I think for me, Alan, like what's behind that question is when there's a failure, when something goes wrong, how we think about that is the key. Because the thing has gone wrong and that's a fact. But there are so many different ways of looking at it. And my example of this is, you know, I I bought a pair of trainers, sneakers for the American audience. I bought a pair of trainers last year and they were quite brightly colored and a controversial set of trainers some might say it was fascinating the different types of attitudes that people had to the shoes there were some people that came up to me usually the youngsters that go i really like your trainers they look really sick which apparently means it's good someone else would come up to you and said look you're, you're a bit old to wear a pair of trainers like that and someone else came up to me and they went aren't they a bit daft? Someone else came up to me and said, they must've been expensive trainers. You know, and there were so many different angles with which people were looking at the trainers. The fascinating thing to me is that the trainers haven't changed. It's still exactly the same pair of trainers. And that's what that question does to me. It forces you to look at something from a different perspective. The thing has happened, but you don't have to accept what your initial viewpoint was. Like when you get a failure, it could be, oh no, I'm a failure. This has gone wrong. No, no, no. That's the thing that's happened, but how you're looking at it can absolutely change and it can turn on a sixpence. So that question forces you to look at the failure and whatever that is that's gone wrong and go, okay, this was designed to teach me something. Isn't it, Oh, aren't I lucky that I've got this lesson that so many other people haven't had? And I guess that would be my last rescue remedy of a failure is just to dive into gratitude. And I, know, Sean, this is something that you've experimented a lot with over the last sort of year or so at least. And this is a brilliant rescue remedy. And I just Mm -hmm. think about all of the things that I'm grateful for, either in the moment or all of the other stuff that I've got around me in my life. And just because something's gone wrong, I'm really grateful for the fact that I've been in a position to try it. I'm grateful for the fact that I have these learning experiences. I'm grateful for the fact that this has given me a signpost of where I need to go next. And that to me is the stuff that flips all of the failure stuff into a positive place within seconds sometimes.
2: That's awesome. Simon, one of the things that jumped out to me that you were saying in the beginning of that is the ability to change your state. And just getting up and walking or doing a couple press ups, push-ups, so forth like that. There is a biochemistry part of this where changing your state will change the way you see things or moving around so far. So I like that. Any type of thing where you can just get out and move instead of sitting there and wallowing in something. Brought me to another thought while you're talking about it. I think it's maybe a very recent example that I'd like to ask Alan about because I was there for this. So I'm going to, for the audience, I'm going to turn on my camera here so I can see Alan. I'm going to show him something that I wrote down in my notebook This was last fall, Alan. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes.
0: I love the fact you've saved this for me. Yeah.
2: So can you read it to me?
0: You don't need them.
2: Okay. Where where was this from? This was last fall.
0: We were at the pop-up business school in Westminster. We'd escaped out you and I for have a chat about this podcast and about launching it. And I think halfway through, I got a phone call from someone I'd been to pitch to. And I was pitching the pop-up business school TV show. And they said, no, and I'd invested quite a lot in that pitch and I had a rejection and it was a fairly strong one.
2: Personal. Wasn't it, didn't, was there a personal part of it as well? That was said to you, I think in an irresponsible way of that person who was saying it, I don't think they meant to attack you, but I think that made it even a little harder to deal with. Am I correct on that?
0: I think, so I asked for the honest feedback, give me the honest feedback. And I always say this, you can't hurt my feelings. It's not quite true because I'll still get hurt, but I'm never going to be angry with you for doing it. But I asked for that because if I don't know that feedback, how can I improve? So I said, I need to know what happened. And they told me. And one of the elements for that pop-up TV show was they didn't see me on their network. So they couldn't see me as a presenter on their channel their network. And it was a very personal, it's you Alan. And that's okay. That's fine. But that's important to know. And then there was a couple of other feedback points. Yeah. At the time it was, I took a probably a two minute pace around the building before I came into you just to try and exactly as you said, state change, pick myself up, start breathing through it. And then I came and sat back down with you and I think I just told you about it, didn't I?
2: Yeah, you did. So yeah, I'd like to give my perspective of that. So, I don't think we had seen each other in a bit. We've been talking a lot over the phone. I had just finished a pop-up course. I think I was in Croydon, which is south of London. So, I was, you know, I just got through that. I was really excited. I was excited to get to speak with you face to face. So, our conversation was very fruitful before you got that call and you knew the call was coming. So you said, Hey, this is going to, you know, we're going to have to step out when this comes. So we were on a roll and our, our energy was high. Our ideas were high. Like we were hitting the peak there and then you left the room. And as you were walking back in, I could tell the body language, you know, your shoulders were down, you know, your head was a little bowed. And so I had an idea of, you know, the call was not great. So we sat there and I listened and you told me about it. and. Although it wasn't clear to you at the time, and that's why I wrote that on that piece of paper, not to say that that company or that production house was not good. I know some of the stuff that they had done and it's excellent. But to me, I looked at it as a good thing. And it was like, I personally do not want to see Alan in a situation with all the gifts he has to pop up where somebody doesn't respect that or see it. And if they don't want you, I don't like, you don't need them. You don't need that person. The situation is going to come to an end. But I think once we had that conversation and you took a look at it yourself, I would say it took you about 20 minutes or so. And that's pretty damn fast for not only a business failure, if you want to call it that, or business information, but when the people put something in there personally, it was like, we don't see you, the person on there. So being able to rebound back from that within 20 minutes, and I'm really glad I was there to go through that with you. I think it was important because I believe in the project that you're doing. and I know it's going to come through. That just wasn't the avenue. And it was somebody's opinion and point of view and trying to make you fit in a box. And I think you came back pretty quick. And once you realized that, we were able to get back to the meeting. And that was impressive, man.
0: I would definitely like to build on what you're saying, Sean, because one of the things I've realized over the years, this is not about this instance. This is about generically about instances, is that if I get rejected and someone says no to me, and I've gone and played full out and been myself, that is a good rejection. Because if they say yes, but they don't like who I am, that's going to be a painful business deal to work through. And you don't want to work with people that you have to change yourself to be around. That's not going to be the ideal thing. So actually, the older I've got, the more certain I have been in presenting myself, my beliefs, my principles strongly. And if they reject that, great, because it saves me a lot of pain later on. And I think that's a really key point is to go that. If you if you are full of happiness and energy and laughter and the company you're pitching to says, we don't like that particular bit, we need someone who's serious and straight, is that going to be a good fit? And I think it's really important to be strongly who you are because it will actually scare off people you don't want to work with.
2: Yeah. I think they saved you a lot of pain. You know, like it's trying to fit that round peg in a square hole. And it was like, this is not the right fit, man. If your skills and abilities, which are proven by the way, over a decade are not appreciated. It's not the right match. And to me, that was a gift. Like I was trying to conceal it a little bit because I know you're going through it, but I was excited. I don't know if you remember that at all, but I was like, I do remember that. was so right. like, why yeah. are you
0: excited? Give me a moment to get over it. Stop yeah, smiling. I mean,
2: <laughs> yeah, you were a little pissed at me at first, which I understand, but I was like, hey, man, I know this is hitting him hard, but I was like, I already see the other side. Hey, Alan's a fun guy. These aren't fun people.
0: <laughs> well, and <laughs> we bounced on. back, we bounced back, and then we focused on building the podcast. And I think there's always the bounce back, turn it off, get rid of it, and then focus on the next bit. And I got what I could learn. I've learned and we're working on the next version. And that's always the key. Always the key.
2: Here's the proof, guys. Alan just said it. We're back working on the podcast. And guess what we're doing right now? A podcast. So that failure informed the success that you're hearing right now.
0: Plus, I'm so excited about the TV thing, the production company we work with have been phenomenal. And yeah, there's so much I need to tell everyone. There's so much. Anyway, we'll save that for another time, but there was definitely something exciting coming your way. Simon, this bouncing back, getting over it, getting on with it, getting on to the next step. Something you said that I want to bring us back to, because I know you and Sean and I are very passionate about this. You said at the very start of your piece your first business failure was failing slow and expensively. And some of the most recent ones have been failing quickly and cheaply. Tell us more about the difference between those two, how it ties into traditional enterprise and traditional business support and ways of starting a business versus what we teach. How do those differ?
1: Yeah. I mean, oh, there's so much in that, Alan. I'm literally, I'm rolling up my metaphorical sleeves to dive into this. I think the first thing that popped through my head, just linking from what Sean was saying a second ago, it's almost like the mindset we should be having is oh, you failed. Oh, that's fantastic. Brilliant. We should be celebrating the fact that we've put in some effort because there are so many. I mean, how many people are at home right now holding on to a cool business idea or a dream of running their own business and they don't take any action? And we shouldn't be quite so tied to the end result. I think we should be, you know, aiming for the best result that we can, but really kind of, you know, diving in, measuring, celebrating the effort that goes in to get us to that point. So I think there's something about that, you know, not being so tied to the outcome, because that's where the ego is, right? And if I go back to a couple of my biggest failures of my late teens and early twenties, that are very formative moments, I guess I I just look at those as a they were just a signpost, really. It was a test. When something fails, it's a test, just a test to see how much you really want to do it. And I think the challenge of the traditional way of business and how starting a business is taught is that it forces you to think about what the end goal is, write it down on paper, and then go and borrow some money in order to make it happen. Like, to me, this is absolute nonsense. and I think in the early days, you sort of go, "Well, I've got some really good ideas. Here's a business plan template. It's important to think about what we're going to do and and take an informed guess, But why the hell would you go and borrow money to do it because it's just a guess. It's a complete guess of where it's headed. So what I love about the pop up stuff is and this is a revelation. I think you know we've spoken about this a few times just by starting with an experiment and just by saying look it's just an experiment so i'm going to get some results and when you do experiments you get results they're neither good nor bad it just gives you some information about which direction to go in next did i enjoy doing it and i think you know in the early days of taking you know weeks to send three emails and then getting depressed when you don't get any answers and then meanwhile i'm burning a hole through my cash runway faster than you can shake a stick at versus now We come up with an idea, you launch a one-page website, you get a whole bunch of people to look at it. I mean, I did an experiment last night, which is, you know how much I love coffee, Alan. I thought I'd do a little experiment last night. I thought I'd I'd help my friend Jamal launch his coffee business. My best guess of what kind of Facebook post might engage people, I don't want to launch a coffee business. What would I do? Go and write a business plan and borrow money? No, of course I wouldn't do that. I'm going to help someone else. I did a little Facebook experiment, 75 comments in two hours. Like I could launch that business for this guy just like that. And I think that's the difference of failing fast, failing cheap, just putting something out there, taking some action and assessing the results. That's what goes through my head.
0: So this actually leads completely into episode two, five ways to build a business without debt and episode seven, which is the mini experiment. And what we've been doing at Pop Up for a long time is helping people try business ideas by reducing the risk. Because if you remove the risk of loss, it's far easier to start the idea. And I know, Sean, when you run these courses, you focus very much on reducing the loss and risk-free experimentation.
2: Yeah, I think the word you hit on there, Alan, is loss. And I think people very closely correlate failure with loss. But the magic here with the way starting business, the pop-up way is there is no chance of loss if you do not borrow money. And if you start your business for free, the only thing you're going to get back or lose is maybe a little bit of time, but you're actually not even losing that time. You're getting information. So if you can have that point of view and you know mindset of like, I have Literally nothing to lose here, and I am going to get feedback. That's once again separating yourself personally from the business or the idea. I think that's revolutionary stuff. If you can look at it as there is no loss here, when you borrow money, you're gambling. It's just like going to Las Vegas and betting on black at the roulette table. But if you are not gambling, all you can do is get some more information and then decide to how to move forward. That is the key to starting a business and confidently moving forward without worrying about losing money or paying the bank back or whatever loan you've taken.
0: Which one of my favorite expressions, which actually comes from NLP is there is no failure. There is only feedback. And if something goes wrong, you've got some negative feedback, but it just tells you how to change. And what I've learned over the years is the more feedback I get, the quicker I get that feedback, the quicker I can get onto the thing that works. So let's try a load of stuff and see what happens. And I think that's about seeing failure as a stepping stone to success, not the opposite. Or as Sean would say, part of the process.
2: Process, Alan. Process. Process. Yeah. I think that's another, just to reframe it again, is you can either take your pain in installment payments, like a mortgage or a loan for a very long time. Or you can just take it in one hit as information and then choose how you use that information. And then it's done.
0: So Simon, what has been one of your biggest failures and what did you learn from it?
1: I'm just getting out my list of failures from the cupboard. And I've got a small rainforest worth of stuff here. So let's plant the trees to replace the
2: forest that was used to print this stuff. I have a list of your failures as well. If we Thank can get you. That's that really after. helpful. <laughs> That's really helpful, Sean. I appreciate that. What are you laughing about, Alan? I got plenty for you too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've seen most of them. Yeah. See, most people collect, you know, like bits of information of dirt to kind of use in the future, but not you, Sean. You collect our failures. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, I'm um, proud of you. I think uh, actually there was a, there was a forerunner to pop up business school. I did an experiment with the social housing organization in the UK before pop-up began, and I convinced them to pay for a project, which was to find people in a particular community in the south of the UK, and you find people that wanted to start a business and help them in a different way. And this was before Alan and I had created pop-up, and I was missing a couple of ingredients, not least the stuff that Alan brought to the table. But that project was a kind of continuation of some work that I'd already been doing. I just found a different way of paying for it. And it's, it's fascinating to me because if I'd have taken that failure as a thing that didn't work and then kind of gone and pouted about it to use your word, Sean, and struggled with bounce back ability, I mean, it was painful because the thing crashed, you know, I got someone to work with me on it. They didn't do the stuff that they said they were going to do. I was already doing a hundred other things at once. I hadn't focused on this thing and it really needed my energy and attention because it was a brand new thing. And I'd made the sale hired someone else to deliver it, and then went off into the sunset and went and did the stuff that I was more excited about at the time. And then that project failed. So we got a tricky relationship with the client now. And I've now got to figure out how I can demonstrate that there's been a value add here, otherwise they're not going to pay for it. And it was a really painful sort of process to go through. But you know, just playing this stuff through, when Alan and I sat down and started to create pop our Business School, if I'd have approached those conversations with the mindset of, I have failed with this project, therefore I won't do it again, pop-up would never have happened. And actually it was the experience of that that I was able to feed into this stuff to go, let's not do it like that because it doesn't work. Let's get everybody in the room. Let's immerse them in this stuff. And, you know, some of those experiences meant that I could bring a perspective to our conversations, which became the basis for teaching business differently. And that's where, some of the magic happened is that I've got, look, don't do that. That didn't work. Let's not do that again. But I wasn't so tied to it. I wasn't reliving those experiences because it was a similar organization that that funded the very first pop-up business school that we ran. So I guess that was a, it was a painful failure, but it actually led to something in my mind, you know, from my side of this stuff, it led to the first generation of pop-up.
0: Which actually reminds me of a story that came. I have no idea where this came from, but it was actually about IBM. And there was a particular salesman who did a deal. It all went wrong. And he lost over a million dollars for the company. And he went in to see the director he worked for to hand in his resignation. And he said, look, I'm really sorry. I've messed up. Here's my resignation. And the director looked at him and said, you think I'm going to let you quit? when I've just invested a million dollars in your education. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it is that investment in learning what doesn't work allows you to be stronger the next time you do it. And Simon's absolutely right. That investment that organization made in your project informed a lot of what we did with the next one with the first pop-up business school. And actually, every time we run a pop-up business school, we learn a little bit of what does and doesn't work and improve it every time. And those failures are important learning experiences.
2: Alan, I got one where it's a little bit of a juxtaposition on it. So I had a film production company for a little bit under a decade where I worked on music videos, commercials, and feature films, as well as short films. And I got to a place with that. It was coming on 10 years. And from the outside looking in, it was hugely successful. The money was right. My top four clients were Fox Feature Films, the United States Army, the NBA, and Major League Baseball that i recently done jobs for. Yeah. And they worked very well with me. It was very well paid. It was prestigious, whatever you want to say like that. But I was getting to a place personally where I did not like doing the work anymore, and it was really, really wearing on me. So I made the decision to shut the business down when it was a success, if you're looking outside in. People look at it, oh, it's making good money, you're working with great people, and so forth. And the the mistake I made, or the learning from this, looking back, was my personal worth and my pride and stuff were all tied to this business idea and to this business that I was running. So once I shut it down I had kind of a crisis of identity where I had built this business you know that was doing very well and I was a filmmaker and that's kind of what I wore on my sleeve and once I took that away from myself once again a successful endeavor that I decided to shut down it was a pretty painful process of saying well who am I now and and what does that mean and the and the learning looking back was I tied myself And my idea of success and my idea of being validated to a business or a title. And boy, was that a tough lesson to go through. It took me many years to not be able to identify with, well, this is what I am. And I think it was a great turning point where now when I look at business opportunities, it's something that is a part of me, but not all of me. So I am committed and excited about it, but not tied to it as an identity.
1: Sean I never knew that you had those clients like why have we never had that conversation US army NBA I've heard I've heard of all of these organizations mm-hmm. Sean we need to have a conversation <laughs> about this
2: Yeah. And it was, it was interesting. It was rewarding. And, and to say the client parts of it, like they, they worked with other people as well, but those are folks that I consistently worked with that I really enjoyed working with and they made the jobs easy. It was higher profile things. They gave me all the staff that I wanted. They trusted my intuition. So it was, you know, like a pat on the back and it felt good, but something was missing for me and I was burned out and that no longer mattered but walking away from it the biggest problem was the identity part it was like the business was me and i was the business or i was a filmmaker and that's all i was and that was a dangerous thing and it and it's kind of what we've been talking about too is separating the person and the project you know i was the one who shut it down so i declared failure on myself and that was dangerous and boy did it take me a long time to come back from that but that experience has really made when things aren't working well or i get turned down or saying hey this isn't we don't want to do this it is so much easier for me to say well that's not me because i made that mistake and and wallowed in it for several years without going through that i don't think i would be a success as a person on a day-to-day basis
0: i love that And you're absolutely right. It's detaching identity from the issue. The problem is, is when it's your business, it does become, it's my thing. It's my baby. And that's a really tough one to unpack. Actually, Sean, one of the episodes I'm very excited about for season two is we're going to do a little bit of a rebel entrepreneur takeover, and I'm going to get someone to ask questions so that you can tell us all your story, where you came from, what you experienced and what you've learned. Because I've heard bits of it over the years, as we've talked about, but I'm really interested in finding out far more. So I'm very much looking forward to that episode in season two, if you're up for it.
2: I'll send over a term sheet.
0: Perfect. Will it include uh. blue M&Ms?
2: <laughs> no, it won't. There'll be much bigger demands than that. <laughs> Alan, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, um, I'll, count me in. I would love to, man. I would love to. That'll be a lot of fun. And, and hopefully it, it'll show people too. Like There was a lot of success there. But man, I think the lesson for me as a person and the transferable skills that I learned from that world were excellent. I mean, I use it with pop-up all the time.
0: And I think this is one of the interesting bits here is we had a client recently, Tom Arkell. Hello, Tom, if you're listening, he hires us to run pop-up business schools. He works with us. And he said one of the bits that made what we do different from other business courses is we not only talk about our successes, but we also teach from failure. Here's the failure. Here's what we've learned and then how we become successful. Whereas so many of the different educational courses out there are all based on success. There's no learning grounded in failure. And I think that's one of the differences that makes what we do really powerful is that it is rooted in failure. We're proud to talk about where we went wrong, where we messed up, where it didn't work and what we've learned and what we've grown because it is perfectly okay to fail if you learn and grow from it. If you fail the same way continually, time and time and time again, well, then that's not very clever. You like that's not acceptable. If you fail a couple of times and then you learn from it and try something new, we will cheer you all the way because we have failed. We want you to fail. And that failure is what's going to help you on your journey to being the successful entrepreneur you want. Simon. Sean, this hour has gone very quickly. Closing thoughts for the audience. I would love to know what you think. How should people look at failure and what should they take away from this podcast episode? Well,
1: the thing that goes through my head is, I I mean, if I had a pound for every time I said this, I'd have at least £75 this week alone. And that's the, if you want to change the way you make money, you have to change the way you think. And I've learned this personally, I would say I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I'm not the kid that was like you, Alan, you know, selling sweets to your friends at the age of 11 or whatever it was and selling them to your teachers until one of the teachers complained, then you had to shut down that business and then you flipped onto clothing. You know, I never did that. I didn't really discover, I mean, I've always been creative, but I didn't link being creative and entrepreneurship until I hit sort of 30. And You know, I had a corporate mindset. My first career, I spent 10 years as a cop and it took me a long time, a little bit like similar to Sean. I think we were the same age when you pivoted from the production company, Sean. I had completely attached my identity to being a police officer and it took me a few years to start thinking differently and the cops, they got ever so grumpy if you make mistakes and you have to stand up in front of the judge and... The judge really don't like it. They really don't like it when cops make mistakes. So I kind of had 10 years of conditioning that you don't get things wrong, actually, because you, you're you playing with people's lives. And, you know, just to sort of think differently about what it means to start a business, what it means to fail, that's definitely been game-changing for me. And the Pop-Up Business School is built on, like you say, Alan, not just the successes, but a lot of the failures as well. And you don't need to make the same mistakes that we made, that Sean made. You can make new ones and then you can come on the podcast and share those failures with us so that we can learn from you as well. And I think one of my biggest errors over the years, since that first experience in 2003 was thinking that entrepreneurship was a solo sport. And actually we all need to have each other's backs here and we all need to help each other get the flag on top of the hill. And I think, you know, if I was to give one piece of advice, it would be linked to all of these messages that we've been sharing throughout this podcast episode and throughout the whole series. Is that it's never been more possible to start a business doing something that you enjoy doing and take these lessons and think of them as results of your experiment rather than whether it works or, or doesn't work.
0: I love that, Simon. I absolutely love that. Results of the experiment, run the mini experiment for episode seven, do it, learn from it, and then grow a business. Sean, is there anything left to say?
2: Yeah, I I was, it just kind of came to me thinking about you two guys and the stories I've been hearing from you and all the time that we've spent together. And I'm kind of trying to flip this a little bit. And what I would say is surround yourself with consistent people, consistent failures. Like I'm going to continue to fail, right? And I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to surround myself with Simon and Alan who are going to continue to fail. And we will cheer you to
0: fail. We will support you.
2: Set yourself up with an environment of people who keep failing. If you fail once and quit, well, then you know what the outcome is. There is no difference. But when you're around people who are failing and moving forward, you're around the right people. So surround yourself with consistent failures.
0: I love that. What a great message, Sean. What a great message. Yeah, but they got to be consistent. They've got to be consistent and they've got to celebrate it and learn from yep. it and grow from it. I love that. Failure is a stepping stone. And what we promote at the pop-up business school is if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail cheap, do it without debt, get it done, learn from it, run the mini experiment, be bold and have a go. And if it doesn't go well, get up, dust yourself off and have another go. It's up to you to make this stuff happen. And that's what you've got to do when you get out there. Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and bringing us your ideas and energy and translating some of the words for us.
2: You're welcome. I look forward to failing with you in the future.
0: Oh yes. And Simon, thank you for being a big pain in my side.
2: <laughs> you filtered
1: that. That was not what you would normally say.
0: <laughs> what would i normally say <laughs> you normally let's say, not, not say you that, that on the podcast
1: pain in my ass but you edited <laughs> yeah. it out uh you got delusions of grandeur now you've got yourself a podcast you're starting to clean up your acts
2: i don't like it alan yeah can you give us some do it in a uk way man some british terms pain in the ass is kind of american
0: i know but it's just a play on his surname he is Yeah. Private pain, Sergeant pain, Mr. Pain. He's a pain in my neck, a pain in the side. He's generally just a pain, but I love him because that pain has driven me on to do more. That was episode 20, which is all about failure and how to respond. Episode 21 is when to quit. And you've got Simon and I talking about you've run the, in the experiment, you've done the test, you've failed a few times, but should you go again? is quitting a bad thing? Is it a good thing? That's episode 21, which is the next one up. Episode 22 coming afterwards is the Entrepreneur's Guide to Investing. And we've got JL Collins talking about the simple path to wealth, which I'm very excited about. And if you want to see a full list of the episodes, go to choosefi.com forward slash rebel, and you can see all the episodes and leave us a voicemail if you want to. If you want to share one of your failures, one of your learnings, you've got a question for Sean, Simon, Casey, myself, anyone on the Rebel team, then please leave us a voicemail and ask us the questions. Thank you for tuning in. Get out there. Go and do some failing. Surround yourself with failures, as Sean said, and have some fun. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with The Rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining The Rebellion.